This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. You're listening to a section of the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project, in which a number of LibriVox volunteers write and record a whole novel together, in serial form, during November 2006. The project is based on the idea started by the National Novel Writing Month. Chapter 24 Written and recorded by Michael Sirwa, Michael.Sirwa, S-I-R-O-I-S, dot com. The falcon's talons bit deeply into Trevor's leather gauntlet. Gently, Trevor pushed upward and released the jesses, allowing the peregrine to leap skyward and join Tracy's already circling bird. Above the treetops now, the falcon had a full view of the countryside, could easily see the town of Catskill just to the north. The bird circled slowly above the small circular island, searching for food. The island was nestled in a bend in the Hudson River. From high in the air it looked like a giant wreath. The sturdy ring of trees that encircled the outer edges of the island provided an effective curtain between those in the compound and prying eyes on the shore or the river. The compound itself could only be seen from the air, and even then, with most of it buried underground, it would only look like several small hills curled up beside the trees. Potential traces of inhabitation had been cleverly engineered to disappear through a series of vents, so the smoke from the fireplace, as well as the steam from the boilers, along with most of the other effluvia created through human occupation, was released into the river or into the air far away from the island. Down below, Trevor craned his neck skyward, trying to follow the flight of the bird. He still felt weak from the weeks of delirium, and the cold bit into his flesh as surely as the falcon would soon bite into its breakfast. He could see the slow arc of the bird's flight interrupted suddenly by a quick course correction, followed by a sharp dive straight toward a patch of snow along the tree-line. Just before an imminent crash, the peregrine straightened into a horizontal glide, talons outstretched and then rose again with a small struggling mass of white fur firmly within its grasp. Several minutes later, with the falcons both fed and safely ensconced in their mews, Tracy and Trevor rejoined their great-grandmother inside the house. Great-grandmother, I need to know some things. I've had some pretty miserable dreams the past few weeks, and, he said, quoting from the tempest again, misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. His great-grandmother gently interrupted. Trevor, it's time to let Shakespeare go, Tracy interrupted, and call her Grandmother Theresia. But what does Prospero do next? Trevor asked of no one in particular. Tracy's voice came to him unbidden. Trevor, Prospero is no more. Our world and our purpose aren't ruled by literature, only informed by it. You're not Prospero any more than I'm Miranda. Then what am I? Who am I? "'Come sit on the couch,' Theresia said, "'and we'll all have some more tea and talk this over. "'It will all be clear before long. "'In fact, I have just the tea for you. "'Do you remember the time when you were a teenager "'and I said I had just been shopping, "'and I had brought home some Prince of Wales tea, "'and you said, "'Great Grandma, can I see them?' "'That's right. "'You thought I had said I purchased some Prince of Wales teeth and you wondered why anyone would take a picture of a whale's tooth. But, being the curious boy you have always been, you did want to see what a whale's tooth looked like. The three of them smiled in silence for a moment. 
Then Theresia pressed a button on the bracelet on her wrist. A voice emanated from it. Yes, Elder? Pierre, I've told you. No more Elder. That time is past. Yes, madame. Could you please prepare some Prince of Wales tea for us? Of course, madame. Trevor is up then? Yes, Pierre. And answering the unspoken question, And he's doing fine. Theresia pointed to her bracelet and smiled. It is easier to keep my intercom on my wrist these days than it is to walk over to the desk. A few minutes later, Pierre Forgeret entered bearing a tray with some tea and some small cakes. Good to see you, Master Trevor. And you too, Pierre. Thank you, Trevor replied, remembering the family's manservant from his childhood. Once Pierre had left the room, Trevor breathed deeply, inhaling the slightly fruity aroma of the tea. Fragments of memories from his childhood flitted into view. Pierre was in them, and so was his sister Tracy, and his parents and grandparents. The events were scrambled in an odd, incoherent fashion. His mother tries on his father's suit. His father insists that it will work fine. Trevor and Tracy are watching from the bedroom closet. Their great-grandfather doesn't appear for breakfast one day, and there is consternation on everyone's faces. A few days later their great-grandmother is gone, and their great-grandfather reappears, as if nothing was different. While Tracy and Trevor are still young, there are many deaths and disappearances in their family. Parents, aunts, cousins. And everyone notices, and no one seems to notice. Trevor murmurs aloud, What's real? Theresia's voice brings him back to the present. I would imagine you have questions. Oh, yes, so many questions, he thought, but just nodded his head in assent. Let me tell you a story, then. A story about your family. Her eyes glimmered with the recall of so many events as she searched for the place to begin. Once, many, many years ago, and she wove a magical tale of good nights and bad nights and organizations that split apart because of deep and bitter resentments within their structures, of families born into the organization and torn apart time and time again. This part of the story was a long time in the past, and it was very familiar to Trevor for some reason. He found more than anything in that he was anxious for her to finish, and get to the end so he could close the book and be done with the story. But he knew it wouldn't be that simple. The book would still be open, and blank, and waiting for him— and Tracy, to finish writing the chapters they were in. So he needed to be patient and pay attention, because the past would surely affect the future. When she was finally done with the basic history, she paused and said to Trevor, Tracy and I have discussed much of this already, but I sense from your unease that you would like for me to get to the personal history of your family. Yes, Grandmother Theresia. I need to know what happened to me these past few weeks. I know it can't all have been real. I must have dreamed or imagined some of it, but I'm just not sure which memories to trust any more. Then let me get to the most important part. Eventually the Knights of Malta became more of a political organization that operated without a true territory. The current Grand Master, the leader of the organization, is British, but there are many thousands of members all over Europe. Most of them operate within the charitable arm of the organization, and their purpose is literally to do good deeds for mankind, performing charitable and humanitarian activities. As far back as the early 1800s, though, when the Treaty of Paris— Yes, I know. 
The knights had Malta taken away from them, but what does this have to do with my family? Patience, Trevor, she smiled and said to Tracy. He was always the anxious one, wanting to move on to the next thing before the first thing was done. <sighs> Trevor sighed. She was right. He had always wanted to know the outcome before he came to it. He leaned back in the couch and tried to relax. I'm sorry, Grandmother Theresia. Please go on. Thank you, she smiled. Now, where was I? Ah, yes. The knights had fought many long and bitter battles for Malta. To have it yanked away again angered many of them. An offshoot organization of the knights, known simply as the Order, founded by some of your ancestors, went underground, and took on the mission of recovering Malta for the knights. As this secret organization evolved, a schism formed within it. Some members realized that continued bloodshed for a piece of land was not a path to enlightenment. Others didn't see it that way, and insisted on continuing the quest to regain control of Malta. They split from the order, and took the name Globus Magnificus, which was shortened to Global, sometime after the First World War. As they gained power, the goal of recouping Malta seemed insignificant to them. They desired much, much more, probably the whole world. We know that they were working with Hitler during World War II, organizing some of his plans to eradicate the Jews and Gypsies and the others. Who would have been next? The Order also gave up their dreams of regaining Malta when they realized how much pain and suffering this useless quest had caused. They adopted a new mission once they realized what Global was doing and decided the order could be best used in the role of the opponent in this global, if you'll pardon the play on words, chess game. Over the years the order won many minor skirmishes and lost many, but still managed to keep global in check. Neither side ever created an outright checkmate, though, even after nearly two centuries. Sensing that Trevor was growing restless with his history, she held up a hand to him. I know, I know but this is important. All right, I'll hurry. She paused to think what else she must tell him. The most important thing I have to tell you is that the curse of your ancestors has been lifted, thanks to your sister Tracy. What curse? What? Trevor said. Perhaps Tracy should tell you that part, Theresia suggested, relinquishing the story. She seemed grateful to be able to relax for a moment. The effort was obviously tiring for her. What curse, sis? Well, don't get pissed off, Trevor. But I'm going to have to tell you a little bit of the history, too. Fine, he said, resigned to his fate. Okay. Way back then, when Globus Magnificus split from the Order, they approached everything differently. The Globus guys tried to spread out as much as possible. New recruits, more soldiers, bigger infrastructure. The Order went in the other direction. Tried not to recruit new people unless necessary. Tried to keep things tight and contained. A smaller infrastructure. There was a lot of intermarriage, especially among the people at the head of the organization, our family. Several generations down the line, signs of genetic abnormalities began to crop up in our bloodline. There were a disproportionate number of stillborns, some mental retardation and some deformities. There were also quite a few geniuses. And it seems that we were fortunate enough to have received some of those genes. But we also received a trait that plagued many of the leaders throughout the years, and 
and the trait didn't recede, even once the practice of intermarriage was stopped. What trait? What is it? Trevor asked. It seems that those who carry the gene have at least a ninety percent probability of an autoimmune disorder kicking in when they become middle-aged or younger. There's no way to tell when or, or if it will happen. Essentially, your body will begin eating itself up from the inside. For some reason, it begins to affect the brain first, not destroying tissue there, but affecting the synapses, causing them to fire randomly at odd times. This results, as you can imagine, in something akin to hallucinations, although they are generally rooted in real memories. The brain seems to return to normalcy, with possibly even a heightened sensibility, but this is usually followed soon after by degeneration of muscles and tissue, as the body wastes into, well, a, a pretty gruesome state. Some people wasted away and died within weeks, and others have lasted years. Trevor looked across the couch at Theresia. Are, are you? He couldn't finish. Me? Oh, heavens, no! This body is just very, very old. Charles, yes. He did die of this dreadful thing, and I took his place, pretending to be him. She smiled with a satisfaction born from years of hiding the secret. I met Charles when he was with the Resistance in France, during World War II. He was trapped in our barn, with Nazis closing in on him. I had seen him enter the barn, and convinced the Germans that he had taken our camion, odd how the old words return, our truck, and had driven it away to the west. He stayed there with us for a week, until it was safe for him to return to Marseilles. But he returned often, and when the war was over he married me. Your mother was my granddaughter. She met your father on a trip to London, and brought him into our little family. Unfortunately, despite the introduction of new blood over the past ninety years or so, both you and Tracy have the gene that's causing all this. Um, but, but you had better finish the story, Tracy. All right. The problems you were experiencing the past few weeks were caused by the disorder attacking your brain. I was sure of it when I listened to some of your messages and ramblings on the phone. I tried every way I could think of to reach you, but it wasn't possible until now. Great-Grandpa Charles contacted me years ago, when he found out I had become a geneticist and was working at Cornell. He brought some information to me about a friend of his whose family had this terrible condition for many generations, and wanted to know if it was a project I would be interested in. I knew there was something fishy when he offered to bring tissue samples to me, instead of introducing the friend to me. I guessed pretty quickly that he was talking about himself and got him to confide in me. I couldn't have been working in a more perfect place, the Cornell Human Ecology Lab. I've often thought he had something to do with my getting a job there in the first place. She gave her great-grandmother a questioning look, but Theresia just shrugged her shoulders and smiled. Anyway, Tracy said gleefully, I did it. I solved the puzzle, and you were my first patient. You've been undergoing gene therapy the whole time you've been here, and it's working. The fevers and the hallucinations are receding, and the secondary symptoms that I saw great-grandpa Charles go through haven't shown up in you yet. I think you're going to be okay. Well, sis, that's good. And don't think I'm not grateful. But I still have tons of unanswered questions. Okay. Such as? To begin with, how much of what I've been through was real? 
what do you think you've been through? Oh, right. If it was all in my head, you wouldn't know anything about it. He gave them a quick rundown of everything he remembered from the past few weeks. The trip to the travel agency, then Cairo, meeting Hazel Brown, going to Malta and meeting Fulvia, the distasteful episodes Fulvia put him through, using the sloth and trying to use the chinchilla, however unsuccessfully, the incidents in Prague, tracking down Professor Prezak in New York, realizing that Hazel was the travel agent was Rebecca, watching her die, being flown to a castle somewhere in France where he was stabbed, and finally ending up here. Where is here, anyway? he asked. You're in the Order's compound, near Catskill, New York. A memory flashed in front of him. Angela's pancake house? Is that in Catskill? Yes, it is. We used to take you there when you were a child. It doesn't make sense, though. I remember Italian food, uh, a, a pasta of some kind. That isn't an hallucination. Angela's served pancakes in the morning, an Italian at night. You are probably remembering the penna pasta that they served in hot garlic oil. Yes, that's it. Can we go there? he said, suddenly realizing how hungry he was. No, it's best that we stay out of sight for a while. Pierre can whip something up that's just as good, I'm sure. You and Tracy have too much to do. What's that? Let her finish telling you some things, and I'll get Pierre to cook you something. I need to move around a little anyway. It's not good for my old bones to sit too long. She struggled to her feet, Trevor helping her stand, and made her way to the door. So, sis, did I just step out of the Dallas shower, or was it all real? A little of both, Tracy said. We were tracking your whereabouts, trying to find you as soon as possible, and here's pretty much everything we know. You did wander into a travel agency in London, and you were talked into a trip to Cairo by a cute bubble-headed twenty-two-year-old named Evie. There was a tour guide named Hazel Brown in Cairo. She's been working for Libretours since she retired from teaching three years ago at the age of fifty-four. She said you were supposed to meet the tour group for dinner your first night, but you never showed. You left a note at the front desk of the hotel and said you needed to go to Malta. You logged in and spent some time on LibriVox's and Google's websites. Now here's the tricky part. You did meet a woman named Fulvia Rossi in Malta, and she is an agent for Global. You were with her for several days. We don't know exactly what she did to you, but from what we know about her, it must have been pretty bad. You did develop a technique called the chinchilla that allowed you to rapidly sift tremendous amounts of data and intuit a conclusion about the data. You did that work at Cambridge, and much of it has been used in some of the current AI software at uh, MIT and Caltech. You never developed a form of hypnotism called the sloth. You accompanied Fulvia to Prague and then New York. She was apparently following some leads you gave her about Professor Prezak, who was my linguistics professor when I spent two of my postgrad years at Berkeley, not at Charles University. He still teaches linguistics at Berkeley. He wasn't on a lecture tour to New York or anywhere else. You apparently, without knowing what you were doing, led Fulvia on a wild goose chase from Malta to Prague to New York, where we caught her and brought both of you back here, just in time, in my opinion. If you hadn't received the gene therapy when you did, I'm afraid it might have been too late. Well, thanks, sis. 
but don't let it go to your head. She laughed and threw a pillow at him. Oh, you idiot! He became somber for a moment. So, no Rebecca. No, Trevor. Sorry. They sat in silence for a while longer, until the noise of Theresia and Pierre intruded as they returned, preceded by the glorious smell of roasted garlic, causing everyone's mouths to water. While they ate, Theresia said, There are some final things I need to say. I have already spoken to Tracy about this, and she agrees with me. It is up to you to complete the agreement. I am stepping down from my position, Charles's position, as the leader of the order. He became known as Elder several years ago, and that became his title. But the official title is Grand Master, patterned after the head title of the Knights of Malta from whence we came. I want the two of you to take over and become joint Grand Masters. You don't have to call yourselves that if you don't like it. I suggest something simple, like tea, which could stand in opposition to Top, the head of Global. Or it could just stand for Tracy or Trevor, whichever of you is in charge at the moment. What do you say? Trevor looked at Tracy and saw the encouragement in her eyes. They nodded to each other, and the deal was sealed. Trevor laughed. So, it's the two of us together, sis. How does that work? Trying unsuccessfully to sound like John Lennon, Trevor parodied a familiar Beatles song. So it's, I am tea, as you are tea, as you are me, and we are tea together. Yes, Tracy answered softly, smiling. Something like that. Two small teas combining to make one large one. Looking at Theresia, he said, What do we do first? I suppose I could have a few last words for you before I step out of the picture. Do you see the family crest on the wall over there? Yes. The motto is, Ne pas faire de mal, which means, and Tracy finished it for her, Do no harm. That's a pretty good motto. As far as your first order of business, though, you need to destroy that computer database that Global nearly has ready. If they get it up and running and close the program's back doors, they could run countries, control stock markets, anything they want to do. Trevor looked up, shocked. You mean that part is real? Both Tracy and Grandmother Theresia said, Yes. End of chapter 24 Recorded on November 25, 2006 in Houston, Texas.